Welcome to Story Jam. Hey, this is Stephanie Rogers. I'm the producer of Story Jam, a live-lit storytelling and music show based in Chicago. Story Jam features fantastic stories and a kick-ass band playing original songs written for each story. For more information about that, please visit us at storyjamshow.com. Today's episode features a coming-out saga by Los Angeles storyteller and writer Kimmy Fleischman. Kimmy is a brand content director who helps companies identify and personalize their stories to share them with the world. We're going to hear Kimmy's story from our live show, the song we wrote for it, then we'll have a brief chat with Kimmy. Story Jam is proudly sponsored by Smack Dab on Clark Street in Chicago. Smack Dab features excellent, healthy food from the heart. Smack Dab shares Story Jam's philosophy because their goal is to make everyone feel welcome, nourished, and loved. Go to smackdabchicago.com to learn more about their free community dinners, their mission of helping others, their use of organic and non-GMO foods, and the amazing people who work at Smack Dab. Now, here is Kimmy Fleischman, live at Story Jam. All right. Once upon a time, I was five years old and playing house with my kindergarten friend, Stephanie. I was the dad and she was the mom. She came home from work, the mom came home from work, defying gender roles crazy at the ripe age of five. And I remember being in her closet, just hanging out while she was at work. Anyways, she opened the closet door when she got home from work and she made out with my face. I remember liking it, but being five years old, I wasn't able to translate the fact that I liked what had just occurred into anything of meaning. I had no idea what it meant to be queer until fifth grade when I saw Kate Winslet's boobs in Titanic during that one scene where Jack draws her laying on that couch. Then that scene where they're in the car. Do you guys remember that? Sometimes when it's a cold day and whatever window I'm closest to fogs up, I recreate that five second cut where her hand hits the window and then slushes the fog down with it. Titanic man, it was another game changer for me, but I kept it to myself. My junior year in high school, Rachel Robinson, an openly gay cast member of MTV's Road Rules, came to speak to the freshmen at my school about diversity and tolerance. I facilitated the whole thing selfishly so I could meet her and also spend time with her. Super, super creepy. <laughs> Rachel was the epitome of everything I wanted to be at that age, open and happy. The day that Rachel visited was the best day of my young lesbian life. After she spoke to the freshmen, I got to take her downtown. We ate dinner with, we ate dinner at P.F. Chang's. I bought the Evanescent CD at Virgin Records. <laughs> and then naturally, I sang her My Immortal on the way back to the suburbs in the car. Do you guys know that song? I am so tired of being here suppressed by all my childish fears. It was everything a young, just-out-of-the-closet queer girl could dream of. From the song to singing it to her, nothing was imperfect about the scenario. I know you're probably thinking, Kimmy, why am I immortal? Were you emo? <laughs> well, 
it just so happens that at this stage in my life, I was incredibly emo. The day I met Rachel was the day that I checked out of the inpatient juvenile psych ward at Lutheran General Hospital. When you're a junior in high school discovering you're different than most for the first time, you revert to the internet to find people to relate to. Fortunately, I met a girl I could relate to in a chat room one night. After about three months of consistent chatting, I considered a girl that I'd never met to be my girlfriend. One night, we got, a got in a fight on AIM. I was heading to a high school basketball game, but I wanted to make sure that I could review the conversation when I got home, so I kept the IM box open on my computer. Yeah. <laughs> the night I came home from that basketball game is the night that my parents' perception of their oldest daughter changed. I brought a few friends home with me to hang out, but when I saw that the only light on in the house was coming from my room, I knew. I knew that they knew. I had my friends stay downstairs. I walked slowly up the stairs. I walked even slower across the hall and I peered into my bedroom. There they were, my mom sitting in front of the computer screen, my dad leaning over her. I darted for the computer to shut it off, but my dad literally took me, picked me up and threw me out of my room and closed the door. I yelled for them to stop reading. I blacked out for a moment and then I had an idea. I ran down the stairs. I passed my friends who were awkwardly standing in the family room. I jolted down the basement stairs. I shut off all the power in my house with one flip of a switch. It's true. I'm not sure if any of you have specific sounds that remind you of getting in trouble as a kid, but my sound is the sound of my dad's intense footsteps on the floor above me. Boom, 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 boom. His voice reverberated down the basement stairs. Kimmy, your friends need to leave and then meet your mom and I in your, in your room. I walked slowly upstairs. I guided my friends into the garage. I hugged each of them goodbye. You guys, I'm sorry you have to leave because I'm bisexual. <laughs> Walking upstairs to my room felt like a decade's worth of time. I sat on my bed. My dad was openly angered. My mom was white in the face with her eyes glazed over. My dad asked me what was going on. I told him I was bisexual. Also guys, I'm not bi, I am straight up homo. I told them that I was bi and others during this time of my life because it wasn't full on commitment to the alternative lifestyle. It was more of a ploy to protect them in this weird twisted way. Anyways, in that moment, my dad looked at me, my mom still not making eye contact, and he goes, I can't even look at you right now. If you choose this lifestyle, if you choose this lifestyle, I'm perfectly fine telling people that I have one daughter and one son from here on out. I am the oldest of three. It was winter break and my parents' gut reaction to finding out that I was different was to punish me. They took away my computer, my TV, my car, my going out privileges. I remember at one point my dad took me to Costco and made me buy books to pass the time. Costco, cheap. <laughs> a couple of days passed and I decided to tell my mom that the way they were making me feel made me want to die. Her reaction to this, let's take Kimmy to a shrink, let's have her take a test to determine if she's suicidal or not, and of course, attempting to show her how sad I was, 
I answered all of his questions in the most extreme of ways, and of course I failed the test, and of course I was deemed suicidal. It was 12 a.m. when she took me to the emergency room at Lutheran General. The entire night was a complete blur. I have to let everyone know, I, I wasn't actually suicidal. I'm way too obsessed with myself to want to die. <laughs> it was my failed attempt at punishing my parents for their reaction to something that I was unable to change. I say failed because I'm the one who had to bend over naked at 2 a.m. in a psych ward to prove that I didn't have drugs or weapons up my asshole. I'm the one who had to spend a week of my life going to group therapy, individual therapy, coloring to pass the time. During my first group therapy session, we had to go in a circle and talk about why we were there, and the only thing that I could think of to say was because I'm gay. They immediately, in that first group session, took my bed, which was in a shared room with a 12-year-old girl named Jackie, and put it into an individual room, as if I didn't feel isolated enough outside of the hospital for being gay. I knew I didn't belong there, we were coloring one day and I was drawing rainbows and flowers and to, that, to this day it's the only thing I know how to draw. <laughs> the girl next to me was drawing a stick figure with long hair and a dagger. I asked the girl what she was drawing and she said verbatim, this is the girl I saw in my room last night. I knew in that moment I definitely didn't belong there. Eventually I got out and it was the day that Rachel was scheduled to speak at my school. That week at school, Mr. Fritz, my openly gay English teacher, made my entire class watch Girl Interrupted. Our parents had to sign a waiver, it's rated R. The entire time the movie was on, I'd catch him staring at me. Turns out, he wanted to make me feel like I wasn't alone. I know it was an odd way to make me feel that way, though. He totally could have just outwardly said, hey, Kimmy, you're not alone. <laughs> Instead, I vicariously had to relive my previous week through Winona Ryder alongside my peers in sixth period. <laughs> There's a social worker I'll never forget. Her name's Janet. She worked as an advocate for me, and I remember at one point her calling my mom and telling her off. Mr. Fritz and Janet were literally the only two adults in the world who validated that I wasn't a complete and utter fuck-up. My grandma heard through the grapevine that I was gay, she sent me the Rent soundtrack. <laughs> she also called me and told me that if my dad closes his door on me, he's closing the door on the entire family. I love having a liberal Jewish grandma. I highly recommend it. <laughs> so I wasn't wrong for being who I am. A, a month after all of this went down and it was fairly well known across my class of 1,200 people that I had gone to a psych ward for being gay, I was nominated for homecoming. <laughs> yeah, I was one of 10 really pretty girls nominated. I didn't even have a date for the dance, wasn't prepared at all, no like hair, makeup, dress, none of it. At the Friday pep assembly, they announced that I won. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. So it turned out that my parents were the ones who were wrong. I had the entire student population, teachers and extended family on my side. It took years for my parents and I to see eye to eye, but eventually we managed to get through it and I ended up teaching them tolerance. A couple of years ago, I was living in San Francisco. My parents came to visit for a week. 
A couple of those days, we went to Napa on a winery tour. We were on our fourth out of five winery <laughs> when my dad came out to my mom and I as bisexual. The end. Against the claim bisexual And your mama's just annoyed When you sing my immortal But they won't leave me alone These wounds don't seem to heal This pain is just too to chat with Kimmy over Zoom, and here is our conversation. Kimmy Fleischman. Hi. Can we talk about your grandma for a sec? Yes. I will always talk about Beverly. Whose mom is she? She is my dad's mom. She's just a badass lady, incredibly liberal. I remember she was obsessed with this waiter named Todd at the Village Inn, because we would go to the Village Inn every time I went to visit her in Arizona. And he was very clearly part of the queer community. And I just remember being like, wow, my grandma's being really nice to Todd. Like, maybe it's okay to be queer. And I'm obsessed with her to this day. She still resides in Scottsdale, Arizona with her dog, Gizmo. And she is the one person who got me through that point in my life. And I owe her my life, I believe. 
How did that disconnect happen for your dad and your grandma? I think with my dad's instance, it was internalized homophobia because it certainly wasn't my grandma's doing. I think it was just something that was deeply instilled in him as wrong or bad. And then it just translated into adulthood and parenthood. But my grandma said, just so you know, if your dad closes his door on you, he's closing his door on the entire Fleischman family. And very similar to some of the things that my dad said during that moment in time, I will never forget those words. And they really carried me through that stage of my life. We're in a really good place now because he's apologized. And so has my mom because she kind of just sat on the side throughout all of this and just supported him in the decisions he was making. We've worked to resolve it and we're moving forward. We've been moving forward for quite a few years now in our relationship. And I, I consider them two of my best friends. Will you give us a quick synopsis on how to tell a story? How do you do it? Well, for me, you want to have a clear hook at the very beginning. For me, it's kind of like when I wrote the story that I read at your show, I just kind of journal entried that time of my life. And then I pulled back on the moments that I didn't think people would care about. <laughs> um, and I, I made sure to emphasize some of the funny moments because I thought it was really important. It's, it could be a really, really dark story, but I thought adding some levity to the, the storytelling was going to be really important. And then just like leave folks again with that, ah, oh my God type of moment. For me, it's just about taking the audience and those who are listening on a journey with me, helping them feel the way I felt and then just ending it with a memorable line, which, you know, I think mine did. <laughs> you nailed it. Thank you for talking to us. Thank you, Steph. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, dear listeners. Please don't forget to visit us online to find out about our events, our classes, and our causes. And please watch some of our videos if you have some time. If you don't mind strong language, I highly recommend our video featuring storyteller Erica Nicole Clark and musician Liam Davis, who wrote a song for Erica's story. It's awesome. Please always remember and never forget in perpetuum storius. It means keep the stories going. See you next time at Story Jam. Check us out at storyjamshow.com.